0: I'm Mary. Um, This is a reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 1 to 16. He left that place and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds again gathered around him, and as was his custom, he again taught them. Some Pharisees came, and to test him they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason... A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then in the house the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them, and the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them. For it's to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. The word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Thanks, Mary. Thanks for solving that microphone issue, too. We just like to keep everybody guessing. Uh, Hey, everybody. My name is Steve. Welcome to those of you who are joining us on the Zooms or on Facebook or YouTube. Welcome those of you who are in the room. If you're new, yay. So glad to have you here. First question you should have is why in the Lord's name would I choose that scripture portion (laughs) to speak on, right? Has anyone ever experienced biblical PTSD? Like when you Hear a verse like that, and you're like, ooh, oh, hey, hey. Well, I chose this portion because we follow the revised common lectionary, and you get four passages to choose from. (laughs) So I had to pick one of them. And they were all really pretty difficult. And also, I chose it because divorce is something that touches almost all of us. Some of us have been through a divorce, some of us are children of a divorce. And all of us have been affected by it in one way or another. Divorces are all different. There's no one divorce that's the same. It's all painful. But unfortunately, like many other painful issues, the church has sometimes used the Bible to compound that pain in addition to the pain you're already going through by adding guilt and shame to people who are already hurting. So I want to see if we can find some grace and hope in this passage. Are you with me? Can we go there together? We're going to go there together, though, because that's how it works. Us, our voice, joining with God's voice to see if we can find a way toward grace and truth. So our scripture portion today begins with a question from the Pharisees designed to what? Remember? To trap or tempt Jesus. You'd think they would learn because he always just volleys a question right back to them and he sort of catches them in their game. Nevertheless, they throw out a question to him. And the question is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Another way to translate that is, is it permissible for a man to divorce his wife? Another way to ask that, is it biblical? This is really what they're asking. Is it biblical? For a man to divorce his wife. So first, all play question. Now, if you're new around here, all play questions are designed to hear our voices so that we can add to the discussion. I guarantee you there are no right or wrong answers. There are just answers that lead us to together discovering what God is telling us today. So whatever comes into your mind, you go ahead and say, and it'll lead us to where we need to go. So here's the first all play question. Who is Jesus talking to here? Use the chat if you're with us by Zoom. Just go ahead and say it out loud if you're with us in the room here. Who is Jesus talking to here? Sorry, the crowd. Yes, thanks, Jason. Enoch? <laughs> Enoch said, people who think they know everything. What's it like talking to people who think they know everything? What's it like being a person who thinks He or she knows everything. (laughs) If there are any spouses in the room, I just saw some elbows going, boom, bang, boom. I like it. I like it. Any other answers? Uh, TJ from Milwaukee. Can we get some some shout-outs to the Milwaukee crowd? They join us most weeks. He says, the religious elite, much the same as Enoch said. Specifically, he's he's talking to the crowd. He is talking to the religious elite, the Pharisees. If you drill it down a little even further, women could not divorce their husbands in the first century. Okay? It was not allowed. In fact, even in the United States, do you know when it was legal, it became legal for women to initiate a divorce in the U.S.? 1937. Not that long ago. So who is Jesus not talking to here? Women. He's talking to, therefore, men. He's talking to men. And that's going to come clear in just a second. So apparently there was this controversy back then. And in Jewish schools of thinking, you followed a school of thought when it came to difficult matters. There was typically a rabbi who would interpret really tricky passages and that would be called like the school of Hillel or the school of Shammai or the school of Pam Hack or the school of Dave Schlenk, you know, the, the great Rabbi Dave. And, um, and you would typically say, oh, I follow the school of this or that. So there was this controversy regarding divorce back in the first century. It was the school of Shammai versus the school of Hillel. And they were trying to interpret Deuteronomy 24.1 because in the Jewish mind, when there's a Bible verse that's tricky, there's not just one answer. The rabbis really enjoyed debating with one another, the different ways, right? So the school of Shammai, or sorry, so let me back up. Deuteronomy 24.1, this is the verse that they're trying to interpret to answer the question, is it legal? Is it permissible? Is it biblical for a man to divorce his wife? Uh, So this is Moses. When a man takes a wife and marries her, If she then finds no favor in his eyes because he has found, and then these two words, some indecency in her, then a certificate of divorce can be permitted. Now, this is not an all play that's going to come up on the screen. This is a just extemporaneous one. But how do you interpret some indecency? If a man sees some indecency in his wife, what could that be? could be anything. In fact, the school of Hillel stressed the word some. Oh, I got to hear that, Jason, please. Jane, please. Oh my gosh. Okay, maybe later. That's fine. The school of Hillel stressed the word some and concluded that there are many ways for a wife to commit an indecency, including being less attractive than another woman or even burning his toast. True story. School of Hillel says it is permissible for all those indecencies and many many others so if it's permissible to write a uh, to get divorced from your wife because she who cooks your meals burns your toast then what else might it be permissible for add to that when a woman gets divorced in the first century what happens to her she is outcast Unless she has family that'll care for her, but she will never be seen the same. She'll always be tainted, scarlet letter, the whole deal. Now the school, so that's one school. The school of Shammai stressed the word indecency and said this is how they interpret Deuteronomy 24:1, that only sexual immorality on the part of the woman is grounds for a man to divorce his wife. So the Pharisees were trying to get at Jesus. What side do you fall on? Now. Insider question, if you are familiar with Jesus at all. What side does he fall on when, when people say, what side are you on, A or B? <laughs> Both, Michelle. What else? His father. Boom. His father. What a, I mean, sermon over. Mic drop. Because when we try to get Jesus to pick a man-made side, That's a trap. That's a trick, right? He's going to side with his father. So the school of Shammai or the school of Hillel. So what does Jesus follow it up with? Well, what did Moses teach you? What does that say? He doesn't ask, what did did my father teach you? He asks, what did Moses teach you? What's he doing there? Sorry, Jason, say it again. Was Moses right? He's challenging Moses. Can you do that? Jesus can, <laughs> and he did so often. You've heard it say Jesus would say, but I say to you, here's a new reality. So, let's stop. This is a second all play question. Use the uh, chat to answer or just say it out loud, Uh, what are your reactions, comments, and or questions so far about this tricky little portion? Yes, go ahead and shout it out. That's so great. It's Terrence, right? Terrain. Tremaine. Tremaine. Got it. So he said a lot of beautiful things there, but basically when you're walking away, you're walking away from a marriage with Jesus primarily, and that's, that's what unites you. And, and that's what Jesus is going to get to a little bit later on. And Tremaine said, you know, man or woman, man and man, woman and woman, doesn't matter. When it's marriage, it's marriage, and it's this beautiful thing. Uh, and, and so, thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Zoom or in the room? What are your thoughts, questions, comments so far? Anyone uncomfortable so far? Oh, Michelle, I'm annoyed. Why? Yes, makes me want to vomit. Yes, the power over, yes, the power over someone else's livelihood. So little choice. Jesus is going to go right after, not what's permissible, but how are women treated? That's what he's going to go after. How are women treated? And then, because he says, um, um, when they say to the question, "What did Moses teach you?" They say Moses permitted a man to divorce his wife, for some indiscretion. And then Jesus said, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. So first noticing, Jesus upholds the reality that divorce is sometimes permitted, but he rejects the notion that women are to blame. Women and their some indiscretions. He rejects that notion altogether. And he goes right after Men saying, if you look at your marriage, as as Michelle said, a power over thing, and you can reject her for any reason, and she can't reject you for any reason, you can, but she can't, then you're seeing women and your wife in a completely unbiblical view. Is it biblical to, to, to divorce your wife for any reason? Jesus trumps that question and basically says, and we're going to get there in a second, is it biblical to have power over your wife? So, uh, Jesus immediately exposes the problem as being hardness of men's heart, not women's issues for some indiscretion. Second noticing, Jesus his response establishes that women and men were created equal from the beginning. Where he says this, he quotes Genesis 2. And this is where Jesus, and this is so kind of complicated, but follow me, Jesus didn't see all of Scripture as equal. Jesus clearly saw some Scriptures as being more important than others. So he's going to say Genesis 2 is higher than Deuteronomy 24 right here. This is what he's doing. So he quotes from the very beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, that, all of a sudden, that sounds like he's giving permissions or not again. But I want to invite you to see that Jesus so rarely did that. He so rarely said, this is what's permissible. This isn't what's, what's permissible. He was always trying to expand our level of, relate, of relating to one another to where we're understanding that not only are men and women one flesh, but in some ways, all of humanity is one flesh. we got to start somewhere, right? We have to start with the marriage <laughs> to understand that it doesn't stop there, the one fleshness. It's really what Tremaine was saying. That when we are united, we're united to Jesus, who is united to all. Whew. And that's, woo. I'm going to catch up on the chat here. Nate Banker says, marriage was treated like a property management structure. Yes, all the rules around marriage, divorce, adultery, et cetera, were about how to manage men's property, 100%. Not only in the first century, but up until very recently. Amen. Woo. So, if we're one flesh, here's the question Jesus is posing without posing it. How can you separate yourself from yourself? (laughs) Now, in that, he's not saying divorce is never permissible. He's just raising the conversation. Remember, this question is, can I divorce my wife for any reason? I'd like to be able to know if that's biblical. And Jesus is saying the question itself is ridiculous. The faith, faith in God, faith in me, is so not about trying, like imagine if your kid came up to you, which they never have done with me, my kids, and sort of said, how much can I get away with and still be your kid? That's just the lowest common denominator, right? I'll, I'll probably, if, if you're going to force me to answer that question, Ben, Isaac, and Lige, my three boys, I will answer that question, but that's not what I want for you. In terms of your relationship with me, it's so much bigger than what's what's the most I can get away with. I mean, like, that's, it's like, or if you're married, can you imagine saying that to your spouse? What's the most I can get away with and still be one flesh with you? How would your spouse answer that question? How should they answer that question? Are you kidding me? It's a ridiculous question give me a better question. Give me a better question. So Jesus is saying, what does it mean to be one flesh? That's what he's saying. What does it mean to be one flesh? What does it mean to be united, seeing each other equally? Now also, I want to note here, this passage has been used by some to argue against same-sex marriage but based on this context, I do not think that's what Jesus is talking about here at all. Jesus is not responding to, is it permissible for a man to marry a man or a woman to marry a woman? He's not talking about that at all. Instead, Jesus is highlighting the power structure which um, forced women to be subservient to men. That's what he is talking about. So I don't think you can rightly say that Same-sex marriage is prohibited based on Genesis 2 or Mark 10. Again, I believe Jesus is establishing that women and men are created equal from the beginning, and he's pointed out that when we put all power into the hands of men, this creates a hardness of heart issue. So then the question becomes, how can we soften our hearts if it's been hardened? By the way, at Genesis... Uh, we recently decided that we uh, would allow our pastors to perform same-sex weddings according to their conscience, which I feel like is a huge move in the right direction. So if that question is lingering in your mind, just know where our church is at regarding that. Now, back to the women and men on the same structure. I I can't stress how radical this must have sounded during a time when women were excluded from participation in synagogue worship, not only, "Oh, would you, do you want to go to synagogue? You can't go to synagogue." Restricted to a spectator role, forbidden to enter the temple beyond the court of women. A woman was, a woman was not al- a woman. A woman was not allowed to touch the scriptures because it was believed that she would defile them. A man was not to talk much with a woman, even his wife, and talking with a woman in public was even more restrictive. Is it permissible for a man to divorce his wife? I mean, there was a whole range of problems with that back in the first century. So remember these interactions that Jesus had with women where he brazenly broke with traditional gender roles all the time. Remember in John 4 when he sat down with a Samaritan woman at the well? Not only was she a woman, which Jewish men weren't going to talk to in public ever, she was a Samaritan who was seen as an outcast, unclean, dirty. Jesus went right up to her and offered her life. That breaks all the gender roles. There was a woman who once was so, felt so loved and forgiven by Jesus that she poured perfume on his bare, dirty feet and washed them with her hair. What would that have looked like? What would people have wondered? Wonder what's happening with those two behind closed doors. It was, that's very intimate. Jesus didn't push her away. Jesus didn't say, this isn't appropriate. Jesus didn't say, hey, can we talk after the service? He just let it happen because it was beautiful. The woman caught in adultery in John 8 where people said, what should happen to this woman? She just got caught in adultery. The law said she should be stoned. So Jesus said, okay, here's how we're going to deal with this. Let those of you who, are, who have never sinned, you go ahead and throw that first stone. He raised the conversation over and over and over again, from the ridiculous to pointing people toward understanding we are one flesh. Amen? We are all connected to one another. So, if you're going to, and even it's said in the law, the Bible, that a woman should be stoned. Stoned to death. I mean, and that raises a whole just range of issues, right? But that's why when Jesus says what he says in John 8, let those of you who are without sin cast the first stone, he's saying that we can have an evolved and evolving view of some of the scriptures that now make no sense. The woman who was bleeding for 12 years, who no doctor would help, who had the audacity to touch Jesus in the middle of a crowd, hoping, believing that she would be healed. To touch him, he welcomed her and healed her. The woman who begged for the scraps that fall from the master's table after after asking Jesus if if, uh, he would interact with her, and he said no, and then she pressed it. Master, shouldn't even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the master's table? And Jesus went, I am sorry. Yes, I've not seen such faith even from people in Israel. I mean if you really read what Jesus did with people who were marginalized, we're we're left to be dumbfounded, dumbstruck because he was about highlighting the reality of one flesh among all people, starting at the base level, marriage, men and women. Um, His disciples included women, Mary, Martha, and others. Rant over. Third noticing, Jesus contrasts the certainty of the Pharisees at the end with the innocence of little children, insisting that it is the children to whom the kingdom belongs, not doctrinal gatekeepers. So at the end of this passage that was read just a couple minutes ago by Mary and that Allie talked on in her kids' sermon. It kind of feels like it's shoehorned in there. Like, what's that doing? We're just talking about divorce, and now we're talking about kids? Starting in verse 13 of Mark 10, you can follow along on your liturgy. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them, but the disciples spoke sternly to them. I love this the bouncers. Like, you know, whenever they start being in the role of bouncers, Jesus just has to smile and correct them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant, he was angry. And he said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms and laid his hands on them and blessed them. Now, this is about Jesus blessing children who were seen as having no value in the first century. It is about that. But it's also about something more. It's also about Jesus is saying, when we put one group of people, pastors, priests, religious elite, as having all the answers, and when we so focus on doctrinal gatekeeping and say, this is what the kingdom is about, we are utterly and badly missing the point when we fight and scratch and claw over doctrinal differences believing that what we believe is what gets us into the kingdom we miss the mark and we miss it badly amen instead jesus is saying it is when you become like a child an innocent child and what does an in- this is a, a spontaneous all play question according to the text um Four- and five-year-olds typically don't argue doctrine. What do they do instead, according to the text? They, when they see Jesus, they run to Jesus, hoping to be embraced. And Jesus said, it is to such as these that the kingdom belongs, Not the doctrinal gatekeepers, not people like me, but people who are vulnerable, and innocent, and people who stand up for the vulnerable and innocent. Um, Nathan is answering. (laughs) Oh, hello. Hi. Um, It's too much to catch up on, but... Um, someone said, it's the children to whom the kingdom belongs, not doctrine of gatekeepers should become a meme. (laughs) Ha ha. Yes, Nathan. Here's the last all-play question before we move to the prayers of confession. What happens when we become more concerned with what is and isn't permissible versus coming to Jesus and to the kingdom of God as a child? What happens when we just subtly shift toward what's really important is getting on the right side of doctrine, Versus remembering that it's about coming to Jesus like a little child. What happens? Wonder. We return with wonder when we allow ourselves, thank you, Jason, to come to Jesus like a little child. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Tremaine. He said, it takes a weight off my shoulders. I don't have to fight for Jesus' love. It's just there. I can run to it. Amen. Yeah. Pam, when we set ourselves, when we focus on what's permissible, we set ourselves up against one versus the other, and we just keep fighting. Yeah. JC, did you have something? The Bible stops being a weapon, is that what you said? And it starts being the word of God again. Yes, right? Yeah, John. Oh, going on, it not only divides us, but it puts us as better than others. Yes, we're always comparing and contrasting what we do with what someone else does, what makes us, what we we believe or makes us better than others. And Jesus is just saying, when we do that, we're utterly missing the point and we're missing it badly. Because when he highlights children, he's not saying only children are loved by God. He's saying it's when you act like a child. Not childish, but childlike. So here's my question for us. In what ways do you and me err on the side of doctrinal gatekeeping on whatever matter versus becoming like a child, running toward Jesus to be loved by him and accepted by him, being embraced by him in that truest self, you know, not the ego self, but that True self that's hidden with Christ in God, that's the self that God knows. That's who God knows. Deep, deep inside of you is a reality that no one can touch, only God can. That's your truest self. It's not your ego self. It's not your doctrinally correct self. It's the self that really is, has been you since the beginning of all of creation. That's the self God knows. That's the self God deals with. That's the self that is like a child. Amen what can we so maybe spend some time this week reflecting on what are some ways that i do set up divisions i think i know i do it so it's not a question of if i do it it's how i do it and then how can i just subtly let that go repent of it even ask forgiveness sometimes so that i can relate to myself and god and others with vulnerability like a little child and like a one flesh person That'd be something good to just get into a conversation with over lunch or over dinner tonight, right? Not if you do it, but how do you do it? And then how can you just let go of those divisions? Because they're really hurting us. They're really dividing us. And Jesus is trying to raise the conversation all the time. So how can we see each other, not as what's permissible, but how are we connected to one
0: another? Amen? Amen.